I love that little grace note that she, she got to take. Please stand and read New City Catechism question 48 with me. What is the church? God chooses and preserves for himself a community elected for eternal life and united by faith who love, follow, learn from, and worship God together. God sends out this community to proclaim the gospel and prefigure Christ's kingdom by the quality of their life together and their love for one another. 2 Thessalonians 2.13 But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Thank you. Welcome everyone to Grace Harvest Church. I'm glad you're here today. We have been the last couple of weeks covering baptism and some of the specifics of water baptism and then we also covered specifically last week about the Lord's Supper about communion these two things are commanded by Jesus to the church to do so today we look at what is the church what is the church today I want to look at that's a big subject and we only have one service on this so specifically I'll look at that the church is a community beloved by the Lord that's first I want to look at beloved by the Lord and secondly that the Lord is described as God triune in the Father Son and Holy Spirit so looking at the community of God and the community of the church in that I'll look at some descriptions about the church as being brothers and sisters in the Lord I'll look at that we are brothers and sisters united by faith briefly look at that common faith that we have together and look at the terms in the Bible that are used for the church two main ones the bride of Christ and the body of Christ so let's get started in our text, which is from 2 Thessalonians, looking back at the beginning of, of, of 2 Thessalonians, which you can do in just about every epistle in God's Word, it's addressed to the church. And usually there are some specific things happening in that local body of believers, that local community. So in Thessalonians, the church at Thessalonica, a city, a people called Thessalonians. It would be like uh, we live in Riadoso and we're called Riadosoans, you know. And so it would be similar to that. So looking at the beginning of 2 Thessalonians 1, we'll see this word the church used. In 2 Thessalonians 1, it's written by Paul. So Paul introduces uh, who he's with, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy. And he says, to the church. And that's what we're discussing today, to the church. And specifically, this is a local church. So he says, to the church of the Thessalonians. So he's writing to the Thessalonians, to this community there, this body of believers. That's what we're going to look at. Who is this? Well, one of the things that when he addresses it to the church there of the Thessalonians, he says, in God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So he's saying there's something very unique, like if he was speaking to us as a church, he'd say you are in God, our Father, we all have a common Father together, and we're all in God, we're in the Father. Then he says, and the Lord Jesus Christ. 
So we're in together the Lord Jesus Christ being in him. So we'll look a little bit at that. Now this scripture goes on to say grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. You see this common theme going here of the triune God. And then he goes, we ought also to give thanks to God for you brothers and sisters. We're going to look at that, this word brothers, uh, including brothers and sisters. As is right, because of your faith is growing abundantly and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. There's things that you see in in the church. They're a community that is united by faith. They're growing in love towards God and they're growing in love for one another. And he says that's happening uh, to the Thessalonians. This is what Paul sees in this this church. And in verse 4 he says, church again, he says, therefore we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God. So we're talking about you Thessalonians to the other churches. And again, he brings back this word who are in God. So these other churches are in God too. New Thessalonians are in God and we're boasting about you. And some of the things that he says that he's boasting about the Thessalonians are is that they, they have some steadfastness, some stick-to-itiveness. They're facing persecution. They're this little group of believers together that aren't liked in their community. That's what Rifle prayed for. In the world, there are communities of Christians, your brothers and sisters, who are not liked in their community. They are outcast. They are squelched. They are thrown in jails. Their pastors are arrested. And this has happened throughout uh, the time since the church was formed. It's never gone away. Churches have sprung up in places of the world where they are not welcomed. You have a unique experience where you are welcomed, where you can come into a place and worship freely. And that is not the case in the majority of parts of the world. And so the Thessalonians were that way, but they were enduring persecution. They were being steadfast, but Paul's concerned about them. You can face so much persecution that, you know, you can be broken, you can cower, you can break down. So he's wanting to encourage them. That's what this letter is about. But it's a local community that is steadfast in their faith. And, and, and through all their persecutions and in all of their afflictions, they are enduring. That's great. So all these different churches have different qualities, different strengths, different weaknesses that Paul's addressing. But he usually begins with starting with what they're doing good at. And he begins to address some issues. But we see that these letters weren't just read by just that church, which is really interesting to me. Uh, a verse that kind of shows that is in Colossians 4.16. It says, and when this letter, this is the letter written to the Colossians, this is a whole other local community, has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans and see also that you read the letter from Laodicea. So these letters were passed around. This is how they became the word of God and became scripture, became authoritative, the apostolic writings of the apostles so these letters were written to local churches that's what we're talking about what is the church what are these local groups of believers these communities of believers uh doing what would define them and and the first thing is this that they are in god and they are in the lord jesus christ so we've sung about that this morning a lot uh even the scriptures that uh, ship and red, and then we sang about being hidden in God, in Christ, and Him being, uh, when we, we, we see ourselves and He sees us, you know, He sees us standing with Him, you know, we're, we're in Him. Colossians 3 says it this way, when I think about being in God and being in Christ, Colossians 3, 1 through 4 says this, If you have been raised with Christ, seek the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things of this earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. 
when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. But listen to that verse in verse 3. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. I love that imagery. I love that, you know, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. But in this scripture, it's talking about me being hidden in Christ. It's like, you know, I'm in God. I'm in God because I'm in Christ. I'm like in, you know. He, he looks at me, you know, and he pardons me because he sees him. That's what we're saying today. He, he looks at me, you know, he looks and sees him and he pardons me. It's like I'm hidden in him, you know. It's like my life of sin, I've like, I've died with him. As he was crucified, I died with him. I'm hidden with him. This is the first thing that sets apart who the church is. You know, it's people who are hidden in Christ. Amen? To be hidden with Christ in God, it said. To be hidden is to die with, to die to our sin. The church is made up of those who have died and whose lives are hidden with Christ and God. Colossians 2 is, is interesting. It's like backing up in it. Colossians 2.12 said that we've been buried with him in baptism. And I know I've talked with that a lot, but it's like dying in him. It's like recalling us to our baptism. Uh, Colossians 2.1 says, uh, 2.12 says, we have been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised through him through faith. This is that uniting common faith that we have as believers in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And so it's in the powerful working of God, but we're raised with Christ. We've died with Christ. It's being in God, in Christ. So Colossians 2, 13 and 14 goes on to say, God in Christ having forgiven us all our trespasses what he's doing in christ god in christ is forgiving us of all our trespasses this is what makes the church this is what makes church people is being their sins being wiped out by god in christ so the church is hidden in Christ. All their sins are forgiven in Christ. They are united to his death and they're saved through faith that every debt of their sin in their lives was nailed to the cross in the body of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And in his death, our life of sin died. It's paid for. It's quenched out in the blood of Jesus. All of our sins so if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature, a new creation. This is who the church is. So the Bible uses this term uh, in the spirit also, kind of focused on in God and in Christ. But in Romans uh, 8, 9 through 11, it says, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. This is being in that community of God, in the triune community of God. We're in God through Christ, in Christ, hidden in Christ. But here Paul focuses on being in the Spirit. This is in the Holy Spirit, capital S, Spirit. You, however, are not in the flesh, but you are in the Spirit. So you're in the Spirit too. And there's this unique thing that we are in Him, in God, in the Father, and we're in the Holy Spirit. And he is in us in all those ways too, like the tri triune God. That's what Romans 8, 9, and God says in it. It says, in fact, if the Spirit of God dwells in you, like you're in the Spirit, and the Spirit is in you too. Like we sang about that Spirit filling us with that water and, and, and the water coming out of us in, in the life of Christ. And so there's this unique thing that makes out the church. And it involves the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit being in the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit being in us. And dwelling means he sticks with you, stays with you, dwells with you, makes his home in you, abides in you, never leaves you, never forsakes you. He's that presence in you. 
making manifest Christ in you, making the love of the Father real to you. He's powerful. If, and this scripture says, in fact, if the Spirit of God dwells in you, and he says, and if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they, they just don't belong to him. This is being in the church. You have to have the Spirit, the Holy Spirit in you, making the Spirit of Christ real in you to belong to the church. This is what it means. This is who Paul's writing to. To the church of the Thessalonians who are in God and who are in Christ Jesus. They're in the Spirit and the Spirit and the Son and the Father is in them. This is what separates you out. This is what makes you the church. Paul is saying, I want to, and, and I, along with him, I want to see that the church and people understand that those who are in God, they're in the Father, they're in the Lord Jesus Christ, they're in the Holy Spirit. They not only are in God, but God is in them. The Spirit of God is in them. The Spirit of Christ is in them. The love of the Father dwells in them. And they are individual members of the body of Christ. There's both a being part of something and being an individual member of that part. And what it makes us, and what one of the big definitions is talking about the family of God. In our commentary, uh, this was mentioned by one of the commentaries in the New City Catechism of us being the family of God. So being the family of God makes God our Father, Jesus our big brother, he's our elder brother, and we all in him become brothers and sisters. We're brothers and sisters, you know, so we, we talk about that a lot. And that's what our text addressed. It not only addressed that we're beloved by, by God, 2 Thessalonians, thank you Thessalonians, uh, 2 Thessalonians 2.13, our text said, but we ought always to give thanks to God for you brothers, beloved by the Lord. This word is interesting. It is uh, Adelphi. It's brothers. It is translated brothers. It also can mean brothers and sisters. And the reason why uh, some translations say brothers and sisters, to make it clear, is because where this word is used in many other texts, Aldelphi, is like in Acts 16. It's used many places, but here's just one quick example. Uh, Lydia in the church at Philippi grew there. So Lydia is the first one. She's a woman. She's a lady, you know, and she's meeting in a prayer place, and they go out. She gets saved. She comes back, and she hears Paul. She agrees. She believes in the gospel. She gets saved. And so as the Bible is talking about this in the book of Acts, this woman named Lydia is baptized together with her whole household in Acts 16. And then near the end of this story, it says the apostle Paul and Silas visit Lydia's house, where they speak with a group of the Aldelphi. It uses the same Greek word, a, a group of, and some just translate, and, and to the brothers. But it's in Lydia's house, and Lydia's there. <laughs> and so this word uh, means brothers and sisters. That might not be important to you. I just think it's important, you know, if you ever feel out, hey, brothers, what's that, you know? Um, it's brothers and sisters, and, and the sisters are always present there. Uh, when they see the brothers, and many times, and this word is translated, they're encouraging them, and they depart from them. The Aldelphi in Acts 16, 14, it's departing from all the brothers and sisters. Come on, brothers and sisters. Amen. So 2 Thessalonians 2, uh, 10, there are some people who are not brothers and sisters. There are some people that are not in the community. Paul's writing to a very select group in Thessalonica that have this uh, faith together, that are united this way, that they call brothers and sisters. And previously to this, he was correcting some things uh, in the church already in chapter 2, and he was talking about some deception that was coming and was there, and he was bringing some correction. But one of the things he says is that uh, with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refused to love the truth and so be saved. I'm just contrasting this in, in, in the sad fact that not all people believe. And what this scripture in our text said about the church was well, those who are sanctified by the Spirit and believe in the truth. They've, they've given their life to the truth. They've received the truth. But Paul clearly in the verse previously to that 
said that there were some who refused to love the truth and so be saved. And then in verse 12 of 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, he said, they do not believe the truth, but they have pleasure in unrighteousness. So some are not in the local community of the church. And this is something that the church is sent out to go do and be a light to those that are still in darkness. We are to preach the good news. That's coming a little bit later of, of what the church kind of does in the community. But Hebrews 4.2, it kind of compares this. It says, for good news came to us just as it did to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. What this means is faith, they were not united by faith with those. Another word for those who listened is it did not meet with faith in the hearers. They heard the same message as you and I, but it didn't meet with faith. They didn't love the truth. They didn't believe so this is the separation, giving some distinction of what the church is. And sometimes you can understand what the church is by what the church is not. And the church is a community elected and chosen by God for eternal life. They're united by faith and they love, follow, and learn from and worship God together. They love the truth. The truth is united by faith in these believers, and they are called the church. It's a community of a family of brothers and sisters united by faith in God, by God the Father, by God the Son, by God the Holy Spirit. And Christ at the center of this is the true elder brother. When I think of brothers and sisters and being brothers and sisters in the church, I think of the parable that Jesus told of the prodigal son is what we call it, it's actually about two sons. It's not just about the prodigal. It's very important that it is also about an elder son. There's two sons. And one of the sons wants his inheritance now. He takes it. He goes out and spends it on the world. He returns with nothing, finally, after he's reached his bottom. And the other elder son's been there the whole time. The other son's there. It's very much about him, the father. He stayed there. But when the Younger son returns, the prodigal who's left, the father throws this party for him. And part of that story ends, very ends, hanging on this story where the father goes out to the older son, the elder brother. This is the elder brother. And he says, come in, rejoice. My son who is lost has come back. Let's party together. You know, but you know the situation of the older son. He's bitter, right? He's bitter. He said, I've been here all along. I've wasted, I've squandered your money. I did. And not only this, it's going to cost him to take the son back in because he's taken what is his out of the inheritance, which they generally had to sell portions of the land. They had to be reduced as a family. He, basically, the younger son was, Father, I wish you were dead and I had my money now. So he does. He sells his part off, gives it to him. So there was cost to this. And the older son is bitter about this. And he has, now to accept him back in, what are you going to do? Redivide the property now? Give him another portion of mine? Take it, you know, costing him to bring him back in. He's bitter. He doesn't come in. The story is left hanging with the elder brother out, bitter. There's some typology in this, in that a lot of the church is the coming together of Jews and Gentiles. It is the lost brother, the lost straying one. And will Israel, the older brother, accept uh, the younger son back in? Well, there's bitterness to that. There's cost. We are the ones who've suffered for thousands of years. We're the ones who've borne your name. We are the ones, this brother isn't worthy of that. But Jesus is uniting them. And who Jesus is, is the elder brother who actually unites us back into the community of God. He is the ultimate elder brother who loves the lost son so much and wants to unite them to the joy of the Father. He will bear any cost to bring them back in. So Jesus is the ultimate Israelite. He is the ultimate big brother that you have that because most of us here are Gentiles. You got welcomed in because Jesus welcomed you in. A Jewish man the ultimate Jewish man, the ultimate Jewish man, the ultimate Israelite. Jesus welcomed you into the family of God who was unique. 
to Israel. You were welcomed into the people of God, grafted in by your big brother Jesus who said, come on in. And so he's the one that does that. And Paul is very uniquely a minister given by Jesus to go and welcome in the Gentiles. You know, Peter had a hard time with it, you know, three times with the sheet and this vision and all that. Peter didn't want to go to Cornelius' house, you know, and he went. And he, he never fully, his heart never fully got in. Jesus called the, the apostle Paul to this and very much understanding the church and, and its birth between Jew and Gentile is very much important in uniting who we are as a church. We're made up now not just of Jews and Gentiles, but every tribe, every nation, every tongue, it comes together to be a part of this church that Paul is writing to. The church chosen by God, beloved by God, brought in as brothers and sisters, Jew and Gentile, every nation, every tongue. I mean, this is going to be a completely multi-ethnic, multi-language church all over the world and it's having that idea of the church it's this kind of community and so some other terms besides being brothers and sisters in the family of god having our elder brother jesus is the bride of christ this is a beautiful example that jesus talks about a lot so when he's here on this earth one place in mark 2 it's in the subject of fasting why don't your disciples fast and jesus talks in this language of being the bridegroom it's very interesting in Mark 2, 19 through 20, Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guest fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. He's describing himself as this bridegroom coming to get married. And he's like, right now we're in the engagement phase, and the engagement phase is a party phase, and nobody fasts during the engagement phase. They celebrate and they eat. But, you know, he goes on to say when the bridegroom was taken away from them, then they will fast in that day. Nothing wrong with fasting, but not in that day. He's describing like his ministry here as this bridegroom coming for a bride. So this imagery is throughout the Bible and it helps to know that about what is the church. The church is the bride of Christ. So when he's talking in John 14 and he is about to leave, the bridegroom is about to be taken, okay? Uh, he, sa he says these words to him. Let not your hearts be troubled, Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you that I go, so would I have told you that I go and prepare a place for you? Question mark, that's what he's telling him. I'm going to prepare a place for you. Would I have said that? If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. Do you know what that is? That's, that's marriage talk. There's no way to understand that text without understanding the bride of Christ. See, in marriage, there would be this betrothal, this engagement, which Jesus has been talking about. I'm the bridegroom. I'm here to find a wife. And here he's saying, I'm going to leave. And this is what would happen after engagement. They'd be fully engaged. And what the father, the husband would do is go and build on to his father's house. So he would prepare a place for his bride. So he would go, he'd build on, he'd add on to his father's house property. And then he'd go, I'm going to come back, so be ready. Because we're going to come and we're going to have this wedding feast. And we're going to get married and I'm going to take you to the home I built. Where we're going to live together uh, for all of our life. Raise our family and kids together and everything. This is bridegroom talk. My father's house, there's many rooms. I'm going to go build onto it. I'm going to go add on. I'm going to do the addition and I'm going to go and then I'm going to come back for you. And I'm going to take you to myself. This is wedding talk. This is marriage talk. I'm going to prepare a place for you. I'm only gone. The bridegroom is gone for this period of time. But I'm coming back for my wife. I'm engaged to you now. And I'm preparing a place for you where we're going to live forever. Forever. This, is, this imagery is throughout the whole Bible. It's also in the Old Testament. Hosea is a whole book about God's relationship uh, with his people and it's not really real good. It's not a real cleaned up, easy story. It's a very tough story. So the prophet Hosea is all about marriage. It's all about God seeing himself married to his people. And he says this in Hosea 2. It's very prophetic. He says, in that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband. And you will no longer call me my Baal, my Baal. 
you know, like they worshiped other gods. God saw it as they were betraying the covenant of marriage to them. They were going after other gods was like committing adultery against God. He uses this imagery all the way through the Bible. Hosea is just a whole book about just that. And what he says to them and goes on to say in Hosea is, and I, will betroth, I, and I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justness and in steadfast love and in mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness and you shall know the Lord. We sing that today too. <laughs> Actually, you will know the Lord. You'll be betrothed. So this wedding language is very beautiful and the church is very much that, that imagery, the bride of Christ and Paul once again breaks this down most has some of the most deepest revelations of this all through the book of Ephesians it's all about being married to Jesus uh, and, and summation is in Ephesians 5 and most of us think that's oh that's about husbands and wives you know husbands love your wives you know as Christ loved the Lord you know the church and gave himself up for her but it's Paul gets down to uh, verse uh, 27 and he talks about so that he might present the church to himself in splendor it's like what he was saying in hosea you're going to call me one day my husband and i'm going to tell you i'm going to make you faithful i'm going to make you a people who are betrothed to me in faithfulness because of my righteousness i'm going to put it in you my justice my steadfast love my mercy on you i'm going to clean you i'm going to make you spotless i'm going to make you my wife you know, I'm going to do these things in you. He's just relentless in his steadfast love toward us. And it's very much this imagery that Paul uses in Ephesians 5. He says, because he's going to present the church to himself in splendor. Church, you're going to be beautiful, whether you like it or not. <laughs> and we like it. We love his love, and we learn to grow in his love, and we love to love the others that are born of God. We are the church that are made beautiful in splendor without any spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish this is who uh, the father is is making for his son and the bride and this is a, a big mystery ephesians 5 32 he concludes this mystery is profound he's talking about marriage too there of a husband and wife but he said this mystery is profound and i'm saying that it refers to christ and his church so he's very much using this imagery of the bride in this whole chapter and revelations concludes and says come i will show you the bride the wife of the lamb and this imagery of the bride the church is also used as the body of christ in colossians 1 18 it says he is the head of the body the church so there's the imagery of the church is the body of Christ. And this is used over and over again in two major pas passages. One is, you can remember this because it's Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12. So it's both 12s. So um, Romans 12 says, For as in one body we have many members, it's Romans 12, 4 and 5, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individual members of one another. So there's a connection in the body that is a oneness factor, but there's also that we are members of one another. So Paul describes Christ being the head and us being the body of Christ, so the church being the body. And we are individual members. We're connected in different ways. We're hands, we're feet, we're different things. We're different members. We're individual members, but we're connected to the whole, the one body that is Christ. So there's this both and aspect to the church that we're individual members of the body. You come with your own gifts that God has given to you and he connects you and uses you and causes you to flourish in what he has blessed you with to bless one another and to give glory to jesus so he explains this to the romans if you want to read romans 12 he goes on and talks about all these different gifts and how they're used in serving the body and we use it to serve there uh, there's all kinds of gifts 
that are brought into the body of Christ. Then this imagery in 1 Corinthians 12 is where he really starts breaking down the body of Christ. He says similar to the same thing. He says, just as the body is one, but it has many members, all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. Many members in one body. And then he just kind of breaks down into this thing and starts mentioning different parts of a body. This is what the church is. It's the body of Christ. Uh, verse 17, he said, if the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? Like he brings different members to do different things, gives them specific things, and they, and they minister uh, in that way. He says, if the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? These different members come together. This is what the church is. And then the eye can't say to the hand, I have no need of you. You know what I mean? It can't say that. It's talking about our, our inner connection and our interdependence with one another. Not just with the head Christ that I've talked about. We're in Christ. We're in God. We're in the Spirit. We're in connection to Him. Draws us together, united by faith. But we're connected to one another too. The church is a community connected and united by faith to one another. We need one another. God made it that way. I need you. I need every aspect of every one of you in my life desperately or I will not make it. I won't know what smell is. I won't know what sight is. I don't know, want, no, might not know how a, a foot runs fast or a hand grasps things. There's many things I will not know on my own. There's this interdependence that God created within the body that is his church. In verse 25 of that same chapter of 12, he says, that there may be no division in the body, that all may, members may have the same care for one another. What this means is, is that we care for one another in equal manner with one another. There's no great gift that somebody has that is all important, and my gift is not that important. It's everybody is needed in the body of Christ, and we're to have the same care, the same value. There's to be no division. And then it says this, that's very much a compassion-oriented thing. You know, when you have one member of your own body hurting, you kind of try to take care of it. Right now I have, like, left foot pain and have had for several months i think it's some kind of planner's fasciitis i don't know that's what chippen told me it was because <laughs> she suffered it too uh and so i've kind of taken care of it by going to the pharmacist and and the lady there goes oh i have that man it hurts like crazy it just shoots this pain up my you know heel and love. and here's some these these work the best and they've helped me i'm wearing them right now these little dr shoal things you know and slowly my foot's getting better Praise the Lord. But you know how you take care of a, a, a member of your body that hurts? That's what Paul says. If one member suffers, all suffers together. Like you're hurting. I hurt with you. I'm, I'm in prayer for you, and I'm bearing part of that burden for you, whatever you're going through in your life. I'm, I'm there for you. This is what the body does together. This is what Paul's saying. If a part of your body suffers, you all suffer, right? I mean, it radiates pain through your whole body many times. And the, this, what Paul's saying is we not only care for one another the same, we value each other's gifts that they bring to the body the same, but we also, when we suffer together, uh, when one member suffers, we all suffer together. Now, on the opposite side of that, too, it says if one member is honored, all rejoice together. You know what I mean? There's a rejoicing, there's a praise report, there's a things in my life are really good right now. And um, up on the ski area this last uh, Thursday, I think the, the Thursday before I saw several of you he there, up there with your kiddos. And uh, this last Thursday I was up there and the kids came down and they skied with each other, they skied with friends, they, and they just came in saying like, that was the best day of skiing ever. Now, this doesn't happen all the time. You know, I'm letting you know that. You guys know that. But it was just like, we got along with skiing. They took these pictures of all three of them. And do you guys ever have these days? I mean, we know about the other days, right? But every now and then when things just kind of go together well, you have memories of this, right? Uh, in, in all kinds of different ways with each other, with husbands and wives, where you have these kind of glimpses of the glory that will be 
you know, where there's unity, where there's harmony, where things go good. Then they were all in agreement. They wanted to go get, you know, and we sat and we talked and we rejoiced. And they were going on about not only how good the day was, but like this has been the best week ever, hasn't it? It's been the, like, you know, just spread, you know. And I was like rejoicing with them and it was great. And uh, I sent that message to their great grandmother and her husband and they said yeah and then what happened <laughs> and I never told them but what happened was we got these little milkshakes and <laughs> Amy came home and she was getting out she squeezed the cup and it went and it went down into my truck and down the handle and down this little thing that I was out there freezing trying to get the ice cream because it melted out but I didn't tell them that because like we already know things like that happen right but it's about that sometimes like we rejoice together you know and remembering those things and the other things are worth it you know it just became like I don't care you know so what we had a great I, I didn't you know praise God it didn't spoil things but we can we can we can always be looking for the well that was a good day but look what's coming around the corner but it's not I think we as a church even when I'm hurting and things aren't going bad and I hear about a praise report and I mean, to me, this church has been really good. My friends have been really good. They really tend to share things. Maybe they, they think Bobby needs to hear some good news or something. I don't know. People share a lot of good news with me. They really do. I don't hear about just all of the suffering or the bad things. People let me know. They call. They, hey, guess what I'm doing, man? I'm in one of the best days of my life. You know, I hear things like that. And that's great. And I rejoice. And the church does that together. And it can be very encouraging uh, when we are down to have somebody be with us in our suffering, but it can also be multiplied and we're rejoicing. You know, you want to tell somebody about it, right? You want to tell about, the, you know, and say, hey, yeah, that was a great day. So knowing this and these imageries, being known as a distinctive part of a church, that I'm going to suffer with those who suffer, I'm going to rejoice with those who are rejoicing, there is a bond of love and a bond of unity that is enjoyed by the church, known as the bride of Christ, the body of Christ, brothers and sisters in the family of God. And this church will be sent out to preach and proclaim the good news by letting others see, not just you individually, individual members in this body, but how you are connected to other people who love and are walking on a journey together, raising kids together, raising families together, who have sisters and brothers together and uncles and, and others beyond our extended biological family who are walking together on this journey united by faith in the one true and living God. I know that was short on the church go part. But in this answer is the church will go out. And what Jesus said is, how will they know you're my disciples? What will they see? What will they know? They will see your love for one another. How you live together like the body of Christ, beloved by God as the body of Christ, in Christ together, hidden in him, a people who are free, who have been set free from all their sins, and the gospel is real in their lives, and Jesus is real in their lives. They know they're hidden with Christ, and they want that for others. And they want to say, come to a community of believers who will walk together in this life together. Mourn with you, weep with you, cry with you, and rejoice with you, and celebrate with you. Amen? Amen. Amen. So we're going to celebrate being united in our common faith as brothers and sisters Thankful for our big brother Jesus, our elder brother Jesus. That in his body and in his blood, he would pay the price for love, seeing us being his seeing his bride, seeing being his body, and being a family together. And on the night, so we offer this to you. I know you have some visitors. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ and you trust in Jesus' broken body and shed blood for you, you're welcome to join us and take this together with us.
And the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he gave thanks for it. And he said, this is my body. Take and eat and do this in remembrance of me. Let us take of the bread together. In like manner, Jesus took the cup and he said, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Given for the remission of sins. Given to wipe sins away. That though they be as scarlet, they shall be made white as snow. Take and drink of this and when you do remember my death remember my death until I come let us partake of the cup together thank you father that is we take this bread and this fruit of the vine from the cup together we remember Christ's death we remember his body given for us. We remember that we live because you died. <laughs> we die with you. We're raised with you to new life because of your body and your blood. And we together as a family say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for being our Messiah, our Savior, our Redeemer. Amen.
hurt and so she won't be here to pray but rifle will be up here to pray if anybody needs prayer please join me in this blessing lord bless your beloved people loved by you father who gave his one and only son who loved us and then father and son who sent the power of the holy spirit to be in him and to be filled with his spirit we thank you for the Holy Spirit. Bless your people, beloved of God, the church, to be filled, to be immersed in who you are, God, who Jesus is, and who your Holy Spirit is in them. May we go out and love one another and love this lost world and be light to the darkness. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Love one another.